Hello. Good morning. It's Friday, January 10th. You're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Trey Scott. I'm going to be joined later by Connor Tapp. We're going to be talking about Mike Leach is joining the SEC ranks. He's going to be at Mississippi State. So I can't wait for Lane Kiffin versus Mike Leach. I can't wait to talk to Connor about that. But before we do that, we're bringing on Shay Dixon of Go 24-7 and Anna Hickey of uh, Clemson 24-7, two 24-7 sports reporters to help me preview Monday's national title game. We're going to get their predictions, their bold takes, and project forward for next year. Let's go. Shay Dixon, Anna Hickey, we already introduced you guys, so let's get started. Shay, you cover the number one team, so I'm going to give you first crack at this. What about Clemson concerns LSU the most on either side of the ball? Man, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to to Ann and the Clemson side, given they're the ones who have won 29 straight. And yeah, Shay, uh, Dabo might not be too happy with you saying yeah, she's da- the number one team. Dabo will not like this, but he'll use it as fuel for the fire. Um, look, I think off top is exactly that. What concerns LSU about Clemson is uh, the fact that a they have won 29 in a row. Look, the longest winning streak prior to that was UCF, and a year ago. Uh, their streak ended at 25 games when they played LSU in the Fiesta Bowl, but UCF is not Clemson and not even close to being on the same level. I think that you've got A, when you look at the coaching staff, one of the best uh, head coaches in the game uh, in Dabo Sweeney, and then certainly uh, defensively um, for as long as Dave Aranda has been around at LSU and even Kevin Steele prior to that, LSU felt like they had uh, some of the best uh, run of DCs in the country, but they knew that uh, it was kind of 1A and 1B with Brent Venables. So on that side of, of the spectrum, the coaching spectrum, uh, obviously they've got a lot of other great assistants. Uh, those two sort of grab the storylines, but it'll all circle right back around, in my opinion, to two guys. And it's the two obvious ones, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. And uh, we've, Lawrence has never lost a game. We've seen him uh, dominate through his high school career in Georgia. He's always been such a sure thing. And uh, it's certainly materialized that way. And uh, with Etienne, it's look, they faced plenty of good running backs, but plenty of LSU's players said this week about going to the Superdome and playing uh, in New Orleans, how great it's going to feel, how motivated they'll be. But uh, they said that they can bet that Etienne will be just as motivated, if not more, uh, coming in with Clemson and being able to play in his home state uh, in the Superdome, where his little brother just played for a state championship uh, a few weeks back. So uh, this is one of those things where I think so much will be talked about LSU's offense, but around the building this week, um, LSU has really been focused in on how they can slow down uh, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and and really neutralize or try to neutralize Clemson enough offensively to where LSU's offense can get um, you know a score or two ahead and, and keep that pace throughout the game. What about you, Anna? Uh, do you think for Clemson's side, has Brent Venables gotten any sleep the last few weeks? Do they think this is an offense that can possibly be stopped? We asked, or we asked a couple of the players before the Ohio State game just to kind of give us an estimate of how much film Venables is watching. And Tanner Muse and Kayvon, Ma- Kayvon Wallace, both with straight faces, said probably 16 to 17 hours a day. And they're you're trying to remind him to you know, get some sleep. So I can't imagine what he's what he's been doing these past few days uh, leading up to LSU. And I think maybe what he might relish in the challenge of the fact that no one has been able to slow down LSU this year. I mean, I know Auburn had some success 
Um, but obviously not enough to win. Georgia maybe had a little bit of success in the first half, but then LSU pulled away. Um, so, you know, I think what's really interesting is that Clemson, this is not Brent Venable's most talented defense by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you look at their front three, front four, not nearly as good as last year, especially in terms of getting a pass rush. And then you look at their back end is better than last year, but they're still not outside of the corners. I mean, and as Isaiah Simmons, they're not made up of these freaks that are going to the NFL first and second rounders. I mean, they're strong, dependable, smart, trusted players that are pretty experienced, but that's what I think is so interesting about this. I mean, he's not going up against Joe Burrow and company with just this whole lineup of NFL players. So what I think it's really going to come down to is just how Venable schemes and he has 15 days to do it. Um, and he's one of the, obviously one of the sports greatest defensive coordinators, especially in terms of coming up with unpredictable ways to stop you. So it's just going to be really interesting to see how he not only disguises coverage, but then also disguises pressure and just kind of how it all comes together. Uh, but I think you're fooling yourself if you, if, you don't think that LSU is going to score points. And if you think Venables is, I mean, as good as he is, if you think he's just going to come in and shut down this offense. So to me, the bigger concern is almost can Clemson score enough points to kind of stay within LSU. Maybe they enter the fourth quarter behind LSU and your defense gets a few stops. Can your offense, you know, when they really need to have points come through for you? Shay Anna mentioned uh, Clemson scoring. And a month ago, if we had done this podcast, we would have assumed Clemson could drop 60 on LSU. And we were all talking about that as sort of a national storyline as an LSU fatal flaw, like an LSU has an Oklahoma problem. And ever since the Ole Miss game, things have really gotten turned around. And I understand the part of that was due to Grant Delpit finally getting healthy. But how much, you know, we talk about Dabo Sweeney and, and Clemson using, uh, online fodder and you know bulletin board and all that stuff saying, oh, they don't believe in us. We're just little clubs. And well, how much for LSU were they saying, guys, everyone thinks our defense is trash? How much anger was involved in this defensive turnaround? That's a really good question and a good bit. And LSU's done a really good job this year of uh, one of coaches beyond one team, one heartbeat. Uh, his kind of mantras block out the noise and don't listen to anyone saying, and, and usually it would be, you know, your ups and downs, but don't listen to anyone saying you're too good or uh, you can't be beaten or, or giving you all this praise. Uh, and the one negative, as you point out, is they've been knocking the defense certainly up to that Ole Miss game. And uh, I talked to a couple of players this week, some starters, Rashard Lawrence, uh, Grant Delpit talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, they said, look, we know the whole block out the noise thing, but it's impossible. Let's be honest. And the one thing we heard was we sucked and that we're not good enough. And that finally LSU's got an offense, but where's their defense? And uh, they took that personally. And uh, Grant Delpit said that after that old Miss game, he started to feel healthy again, sure. But uh, he said the team sort of just rallied around and said, look, we've got Caleb on chase on back. We've got Delpit back. You've got all these defensive linemen back that everybody had sort of sporadically missed some games. Now they had never lost, but they weren't playing great on defense. And Boys, since then, Arkansas is Arkansas, so they're not any good, so not even worth counting it. But A&M scored seven points, and A&M is, you know, an okay team. At least offensively, they should be able to move the ball some with Kellen Mond, and they didn't. They got absolutely blown out 50-7. to seven. And then you got into the Georgia game where we talked about it, guys, where in Atlanta, where it was, okay, well, Georgia's at least going to score some points, and that really just didn't turn out to be the case. And LSU really flexed their muscles and 
then Oklahoma, well, certainly the number two offense in the country uh, is going to score some points. And that really didn't happen. And, and LSU may have played their best game to date defensively. So they really did take it on them to say, look, we're being doubted. We know we're more talented than we played. Um, I think a lot of times, for instance, the Ole Miss game, you'll remember, they were up 28 points in the first half. Ole Miss hadn't even scored. So they went into halftime and thought, oh, you know, we're good. No big deal. And all of them said, yeah, it's kind of kind of let off our guard. And all of a sudden, boom, Plumley and, and Ely were absent, mainly Plumley were just tearing them up, scoring on one-play drives, two-play drives. Uh, and they sort of said no moss at that point. Uh, and have been really dialed in. And, and I think it goes back to beyond just that sort of feeling of um, of people doubting you or, or whatever you need to fuel your game is just being healthy. And, and I said it, they've throughout the year, you can go to every game and they had one or two starter defensive starters out. And some of them missed a month at a time. Some missed one game, but whatever it was, guys were playing injured or not playing. And now everybody's healthy. And uh, I think that really just raised their level of confidence of what they could be able to do because Caleb on chase on set it uh, ahead of the Oklahoma game. He said, look, we, we love our team. We have so much faith in the two deep and the three deep. But when you get those guys out there, you're not really on the same page like you are uh, when you've got all 11 of your starters or maybe your most reliable guys out there. And then you try to start to do too much. Let me help out over here because we've got a backup in. And now that's not been happening anymore. I think Dave Aranda's called uh, some much better games late in the year. And uh, much like with Venables, um, when you get 15 days to prepare for a team, uh, I think that gives a certain edge to uh, the defensive side, even with the number one and two offenses in the country, which is certainly what LSU and Clemson have proven to be. Uh, I think that I don't know if we're going to get this wild shootout into the 40s like LSU and Bama, just because I think these two defensive coordinators and these two defenses uh, will have something dialed up to where they can uh, stifle or at least slow down the offenses to some extent. Yeah, LSU's on an absolute roll. Anna, Ohio State had a 16-0 lead. And we can talk about why they did, and maybe Clemson was a little bit shell-shocked or hadn't seen anyone like that all season. But in in coming back and erasing that deficit and then winning sort of on the last drive, I mean, not sort of, obviously on the last drive, have the Clemson players talked about that experience helping them or preparing them or bracing them for the, the challenge that will be LSU? Yeah, a little bit. I think, I don't know if they'd be willing to admit that they were shell-shocked or that it was a product of them playing some softer competition during the season. But I don't think it's a bad thing to kind of argue that if you're Clemson um, because they were obviously able to kind of get back on the right track and say, okay, we got kind of punched in the mouth this first quarter. That really wasn't us. Now we kind of see what we're up against, and now we're going to bring our so-called A game. And when they did, I mean, obviously they came out on top. So we talked to Isaiah Simmons this week. And he was saying, yeah, that definitely that game definitely helped us a lot because, you know, we know what it takes now to beat a really good team. And I think Clemson was just kind of that game was just such a bloodbath. I mean, Clemson hadn't suffered really any injuries all season. And then T. Higgins gets banged up. Justin Ross gets banged up. Trevor Lawrence said it was the most physical game he's ever played. Um, I talked to a couple of offensive linemen this week. They were all, it took them a while to recover. So I think now it's kind of just like, this is the last game. This is, you're playing for it all. You got to empty the tank. It doesn't really matter how sore you are, what your body's feeling like. Um, and I feel like they've kind of feel like they went through war and emerged. So now it's just like, bring it on. Like at this point, we've kind of been through the trenches. We know what 
it's like to get punched in the mouth. And, you know, we're, if we get down against LSU, that's not going to stop us um, because we were down against Ohio State and we came back. I've got three more questions for each of you. And the first one is super easy. The next two are going to be a little bit tough for Anna. We'll keep it on you. This is about, this is an injury report question. And you brought up T Higgins and Justin Ross. What, are, what is the status for each of those two receivers heading into Monday's game? They were both, as you said, banged up against Ohio State. And is there anybody else as far as uh, potential starters go who might be missing in action? No one else on my radar um, other than those two. We did not get any practice availability leading up to um, the team's departure for New Orleans tomorrow. And we did get availability before the Ohio State game. So um, haven't been able to see any gr- yellow jerseys or green jerseys. So from that standpoint, I can't really speak with total certainty. But the two guys I'm definitely monitoring are T and Justin. Um, so T, it was kind of a weird play. He got he, he took a hard hit. And it looked like it was his head because his helmet came off. But I don't think his head ever really hit the ground and I don't think he was ever hit by the defender. Um, so, and then when he came back in the game, I don't think they would have let him come back if it was concussion symptoms. He told us after the game that it was quote body soreness and nothing to do with a concussion. Um, he said he hasn't been limited in practice since and that he's feeling a hundred percent. So uh, to me, it's more of Justin Ross that you're kind of wary of the injuries there because he's kind of been banged up all season, but no one's really talked about it. And then against Ohio state going up against some really physical defensive backs, um, looked like he hurt his shoulder, or at least he was holding it at some point. And then he was holding his hamstring at another point and kind of in and out of the game, subbing, um, trying to catch his breath and, and kind of, you know, muster up whatever it took to go back into the game. So, and then I'd asked him after the game, what was wrong? And he kind of gave me a short answer, like, just, you know, just from being in the game, I was just kind of getting hit and he wouldn't really give me anything specific. And um, it kind of was the same way at media day this week. So nothing really too specific with those two. Um, I think that they just kind of know what at this point in the season, 15 games, I don't care if you've had two weeks before the um, national championship and then three before the semifinal, you're going to be banged up to an extent. So um, at this point, I mean, I think they just got to go out and lay it all on the line, especially because those two did not have their best game against Ohio State, regardless of the injuries. Amari, Justin, and T, all three were held under 50 50 receiving yards against Ohio State. Um, Jeff Okuda really shut T. Higgins down on the outside. That was a matchup that everyone was excited to see, and objectively, Okuda won that one. So um, I think they've got something a little bit to prove going into this one. And uh, what's interesting, it doesn't really get any easier going up against Fulton and uh, Delpit. I mean, Fulton and uh, Stingley. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome matchup. Shay, what about LSU's injury side? Uh, Is my guy Clyde Edwards-Alaire fully healthy? Yeah, that was one of the biggest ones, obviously, going into the the semifinals. And he played, um, they said, in case of emergency. And they used him in the first quarter in some blocking situations and a couple of runs. But it was evident that they had played a backup, Chris Curry. He was running hard. Um, and then they sort of sat him after the first quarter because they were already up um, by more than, you know, 20-something points at that stage. Um, but he's good to go. I talked to him. He said, I'm going to be 100% for the game. I've got no worries. And as Anna said, this is it. I mean, this is the last game. So even if I'm slightly hobbled, I'm not really worried about it. I'm playing through it. Um, so he'll be out there. He's such a key piece to what LSU does offensively because um, he's sort of uh, a jack-of-all-trades. He blocks extremely well for Joe Burrow. Um, he carries the ball extremely well. He's got uh, the highest missed tackle rate uh, in the country, according to PFF. Uh, and boy, he's just been able to catch the ball so well on uh, sort of checkdowns, which between uh, Clyde and, and Thaddeus Moss 
um, that safety valve for Burrow when he's not going to the receivers has been really big. So <clears throat> he's probably the most important piece. Obviously, now I would say the other guys are sort of 1B, um, one of them being Damian Lewis, the right guard. He started every game this year at right guard. He started every game last year at right guard. So he's got a real rapport with Burrow and, and that group. And he got rolled up on in the Oklahoma game. He got carted off. He didn't come back. Um, but now he's been back at practice. Unlike Clemson, we did get some media or excuse me, yeah, media availability at practice. Um, short little windows during individual period, but um, most recently this week he was out there. He was running. He wasn't. It was a walkthrough, but he wasn't in any, any sort of non-contact jersey. And uh, then the other would be Terrace Marshall, obviously their third receiver, and such a key piece to what LSU has done this year in the passing game has been able to. Okay, if you want to put all your focus on jamar chase then they're going to go to justin jefferson and marshall if you want to put a lot of focus on to um, with safety help on to jefferson and chase well then they're just going to go to marshall and and moss and we've seen him sort of bounce around with that um so having him healthy is key uh and look if he if he has a two touchdown game lsu will have all three of their starting receivers finish in the top five uh, in the ncaa this year and receiving touchdowns so it speaks to kind of how well they've spread the ball around to that group uh, and they really need Marshall to play. And when we talked to Orgeron after practice yesterday, he said that his expectation, and he considered it Monday of game week, right? Considered it was Wednesday at the time, and uh, and then they don't play till Monday. So uh, he said, if today is a Monday of a game week, and how I'm looking at them right now, I fully expect both of them will play. And he's always been really honest about injuries. Unlike a lot of coaches, I don't mean Dabo, but Les Miles in the past would never really say, if everybody was nicked and if you could have your leg amputated and you'd be nicked and you'd have no clue if that guy was playing or not. And Orgeron is always super upfront about it. So for him to say that he fully expects both of them to play, I fully expect both of them to be in the starting lineup. All right. So fair warning. I'm going to ask you guys after this next question for your score prediction. So start mulling that over, but Shay, I'm going to start with you. We're going to talk about sort of the mood around the program, not just now, but going forward. And this is sort of a dark question for both of you guys, I suppose. But everyone in Baton Rouge is really happy right now, Shay. But if LSU loses on Monday and misses the window with his team of destiny and, and walks Joe, watches Joe Burrow walk out the door and go be the number one overall pick, what is the mood headed into 2020? Well, it won't be great. I mean, people will be bummed out considered that they've waited since 2011 when they played Bama and didn't score a point in the national championship game to get back to a moment like this, to get, this was their first trip back to the sec championship. This was their first trip uh, back to obviously first trip into the playoffs since its inception. Uh, and now to win and get back to a national championship in new Orleans. Remember the last four national championships played in new Orleans have had LSU in them every single time. So they've had this sort of run of destiny to play there and, 2011 left such a sour taste in everyone's mouth, and ultimately things went backwards for him. Bama became the cream of the crop in the SEC West and, and the SEC, and Les ultimately got fired. And, and here we are with Orgeron uh, trying to, to level the playing field again and bring uh, LSU another national championship. But look, they've they shattered every record in LSU's uh, book this year. And I, of course you're going to be bummed out if you've got a Heisman-winning quarterback for the first time in 60 years, only the second program history. You sweep every award, the Bolitnikoff, all those, coach of the year, and you don't win a national championship. That's super deflating. But I think the silver lining becomes something that Clemson wouldn't be experiencing here is that 
we've been stuck in this stone age LSU offense for a long time from Les Miles all the way through to now. And LSU didn't reinvent the wheel. They just started running a spread RPO that Clemson and Ohio State and Bama and teams who are finding a lot of success with really talented recruiting classes and coaches and players have done. They, like I said, they didn't reinvent the wheel. They just finally caught up to what everybody else is doing. And I think that's here to stay. So win or lose, lose, they're going to be bummed out, but at least they'll enter next year with some confidence that they're not going back to, to the old kind of three yards in a cloud of dust offense and uh, that they finally caught up to what modernized college football is. And um, that's at least something that makes them feel good. All right. And the same question for Clemson. I was actually talking to Barton Simmons a few months ago and he said something along the lines of Clemson's a year ahead of schedule. So, and when you look at who they've got coming in in their 2020 recruiting class and the fact that Trevor Lawrence is only just a sophomore, do people around the program agree with that? Do you think if, if Clemson loses Monday night, we sort of hear the story Tuesday morning that they're going to be better next year? I think it's hard to be better next year because you're losing T Higgins, your alpha receiver, you're losing Travis. Then you're losing four or five starters along the offensive line. The only one that would be returning is your left tackle, Jackson Carmen. So you're, I mean, even though you have Trevor and Amari Rogers and Justin Ross coming back and then a good backup running back right now, Lynn J. Dixon coming back. I mean, that's still a huge chunk of your offense that's leaving. And then defensively, yeah, you're young up front right now. So those guys will take a step forward, but you lose both of your, all three of your linebackers, you lose Isaiah Simmons, Chad Smith, Jamie Skowski, who have been mainstays for you. And then on the back end, you lose AJ Terrell, who's probably going to the NFL. And then you lose your safeties, Kayvon Wallace, Tanner Muse. And then, so you'll return the other corner, DK, Darren Kendrick. So that's a ton of people leaving. Um, and that's a ton of experience on the back end that Venables has relied on in order to be flexible defensively and kind of implement a different front and different, you know, different schemes, different blitzes, because those guys just know the defense so well. Um, they're pretty much like in a, some of those guys on the back end, like Jamie and Tanner, are pretty much extensions of Venables. So to me, it'd just be hard to it's hard to think that you can be better than what Clemson is this year. Um, if anything, I would say last year, maybe Clemson was ahead of schedule just in terms of, of not knowing that those defensive linemen were going to come back until kind of the last minute. And then also, even though you knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be this, you mean he was not going to be a bust by any means, you really didn't know how it was going to play out with him and Kelly Bryant. Um, and then you still needed to see T Higgins step up. You didn't know, really know what you had in Justin Ross. Um, so I think there was a, and then Isaiah Simmons, I mean, that was his first year really bursting on the scene. So if anything, I think it was last year, um, that, but next year, I think it would be really hard to think that they're going to be better than they are this year. All right. So that was kind of depressing for both teams. Uh, Shay, give me a good optimistic note, score prediction for Monday night's game. And I'm expecting both of you guys to pick the teams you cover. I, I you, you might surprise me, but that's kind of my, my bet right now. Shay, what do you got? Uh, well, we're both picking Tigers, obviously. I'm going, what, I mean, it's been, it opened at a five-point spread. I saw it had moved up to six. I think Vegas usually knows something. I don't think we're going to get this massive shootout where the teams combine for 80, 90 points, but I don't think it'll be similar to Ohio State Clemson when you're in the mid-20s. So, I'm thinking something in the 34-28 range, which is right about kind of the over-under and, and the spread. Um, maybe both teams into the 30s. So uh, let me settle in on 37-31. LSU wins 
Um, Clemson is able to, as Anna said, get be down in the fourth, get the ball, see if you've got a chance to win it. Perhaps that brings them to the closer to that six points, or uh, or perhaps LSU gets a defensive stop. But uh, I think we're looking in that range, maybe a six point game, and it's just tough for me right now after covering this team all season, um, which I know Anna certainly probably felt like before watching these Clemson teams and, and these runs. I don't know how to bet against them every time they play a top 10 team, which I think they're up to six, seven, eight top 10 teams of the, uh, of the teams they've played on the schedule. They've won every time. So um, tough for me to bet against them in new Orleans with a quarterback like Burrow, who seems to be, you know, the rim is just the size of an ocean for him right now. And, and he doesn't make any mistakes. And even facing a guy like Venables, I think ultimately he'll catch on to, to what Clemson is trying to do defensively. Because I think one thing that gets forgotten is that Joe Burrow's dad, sure, he was a coach in college and now he's retired, but he was a D coordinator for 30-something years. And he's talked about how his entire life, Joe's just sat in the office with him and watched defensive film and done this, that, and the other. And Joe wanted to play defense. Everybody in their family played defense. And his sophomore year of high school, their quarterback transferred out. uh, And they said, hey, you're the best athlete on the team. We need you at quarterback. And uh, the rest has been history. But Burrow has sort of always quietly said, I'm a defensive-minded guy, and I think that's why I'm able to have this sort of success right now. So um, I think it'll maybe take some feeling out, obviously, but by the time the second quarter rolls around, I think that he'll be settled in, uh, if not sooner. And and I think LSU uh, has got a chance to right their wrongs from 2011 and not only cross midfield and score some points, but uh, but maybe even win. All right. Anna, your turn. Tiger's going back-to-back. So... Uh- I'm gonna. I have the right to change my prediction before game time, but sure, right now for, for sure. I'm going LSU winning. Um, I've kind of felt that way since this matchup has been set. Um, and if LSU was playing Ohio State, I would also be picking LSU. As far as score, I'm gonna go a little bit higher than what Shay did. Um, I'm gonna go 42-35, but I still think it's gonna be within that touchdown, maybe seven to ten points. Um, I would be, would I be surprised or shocked if Clemson won? No, I wouldn't just, I mean, I don't know how you really can be when you look at their track record and their body of work. And I mean, Trevor Lawrence has not let, lost a game 29 and 0 as a quarterback. Um, and you look at the teams, the top 10 teams that Clemson has been able to beat. I mean, they beat Alabama to win their first championship and then they beat an undefeated Notre Dame team. And then remember last year going into that Alabama Clemson game, no one was really giving Clemson much of a shot. I mean, myself included, I picked Alabama in that game because, I mean, of Tua and then what they had defensively. I mean, it was just kind of like they had just rolled everybody last season. Um, And then Clemson came out, obviously, in 144 to 16. So, I mean, who knows this what they maybe they do something similar this year in terms of not that score, but maybe in terms of 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 pulling off the upset. Um, But just going in, I, I just think that kind of what Shea said. I mean, what Burrow is able to do, no one has been able to to slow him down. Um, so even if Clemson has some success slowing him down, I think that LSU is going to have some success slowing down Clemson's offense. So at that point, it just becomes what offense can kind of exert its will a little bit more. And I think at the end, it's going to be LSU. Um, and I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, I do think it could go either way, but right now I'm rolling with LSU. Wow. Nobody picks Clemson. I hope Dabo does not get his hands <laughs> on this podcast. Appreciate both of you guys joining the College Football Daily. Have fun in New Orleans. Thanks, Trey. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Okay, I'm going to bring in Connor Tapp. 
And we're going to talk about Mike Leach joining Mississippi State. Yeah, so, I mean, Mississippi State, they kind of put off the decision to fire Joe Moorhead until a point where it seems like maybe they're going to run into some problems filling this position uh, in a way that feels like it's an upgrade over Joe Moorhead. But then they come in and land Mike Leach, who I guess, you know, he was in the mix for the Tennessee job, maybe almost the Tennessee head coach until that got scuttered at the last minute. Um, And so now he's, I guess, been looking around. Now he's back in the SEC. Interesting fit. I guess Starkville is the Pullman of the SEC or close to. So, I mean, I guess good job, Mississippi State. I mean, maybe maybe there's a question about how do you move from I guess still, I, I don't know if you could fully say that Joe, this was Joe Moorhead's roster, this hybrid Joe Moorhead, Dan Mullen roster into a Mike Leach roster. We've seen it takes several years for his system to click in previous stops. So maybe it's a long-term thing. I don't know. But then he's kind of getting up there in age. So I don't know. I, I think you could spin this a number of ways. So I don't think Mississippi State was ever going – like the furthest they got under Dan Mullen, who was one of the best coaches in football, was – as far as they're going to get playing straight up football. Mm-hmm. I think it's a brilliant move for, for Mississippi State or any have nots in the SEC to go with a Mike Leach type hire. It's going, uh, this is just so compelling, like Mike Leach versus Lane Kiffin. And I think one interesting thing is I hope Mississippi State fans are ready to sort of swallow bad signing dates. Mm. Washington State's class right now is 61st in the country. Like yeah. Mike, Mike Leach does not care. Or recruit at a at a pace or a threshold that's going to have them in the twenties, which is what they're used to. So we're going to kind of get a really interesting SEC look at can Mike Leach work? Because like we thought we had this with Tennessee a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I was really excited because like that was what Tennessee's sixth option. I was like, yeah, I mean, if we're going to settle on somebody, like let's settle on Mike Leach. And I was bummed that never happened, but Mike Leach is absolutely. A winner. He can absolutely run offense better than anybody else in college football. So this will be fascinating, but there will be some cultural issues as far as basically just the recruiting aspect of it. And it's interesting you mentioned the roster makeup. Like they were really excited about this freshman quarterback, Garrett Schrader, who's sort of like a just a running style quarterback. Mm-hmm. So does he enter the transfer portal tomorrow? Does he right. enter the transfer portal Monday? Like, or does Mike Leach find a way to build around his strengths? That'd be interesting. I, this will. This is the bet. This is crazy to say, and I don't mean any disrespect to Mississippi State here, but this is the probably the best program Mike Leach has ever been at. That's true. Washington State's one of the toughest jobs in Power Five. Yeah, and we have a high opinion of Texas Tech now, or not high, but a good opinion, mostly yeah. because of what Mike Leach did there. Right. That's in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. Mississippi State has SEC resources, they have SEC recruiting base. This is this is I mean the conference should recruit itself. This is potentially the best job he'll ever have and it's going to be interesting to see what he does with it and I cannot wait. I mean Lane, again, do we do we understand how fun this will be? Lane Kiffin versus Mike Leach mm-hmm. in the nastiest rivalry yeah. in college football. And Lane Kiffin's already tweeting about it. Um so yeah, I mean it's so many programs in the SEC that seem like they should be having the mentality that we need to zag while Alabama, LSU, uh, Georgia are zigging. Uh, what they end up doing instead is trying to do the same thing that the, 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 those big programs are doing. And sure, you've got a lot of talent around you in, in neighboring states in Mississippi, but and, and some talent in Mississippi, like at the very top. But like 
it's just not super sustainable. You're, you're not, you, you are never going to come in, you're never going to hire anybody who's going to be able to come in and consistently have top 10 recruiting classes. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a smart move to identify that as a weakness and kind of like hire a coach who can kind of turn it around and make it a strength. But as you say, there's kind of the idea of that. And then there is, coming around to the first Wednesday, Wednesday in February and your fan base is fan base getting online, looking at the recruiting rankings. And then like, how does that play? Especially if it's a little bit of a slower build as it has been in previous stops. So it's, uh, we're in an era now with, uh, it seems like people's we've lost a year of how many years you get to, 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 to build your program. I mean, look no further than Joe Moorhead gone after year two. So it'll be interesting to see how those kind of dynamics interact with each other. I think two is very clearly the new three. Yeah. And I think one day one might be the new two. And Manny Diaz almost tested that, that <laughs> rule this year. Yeah. It's an interesting point about, yeah, Mike Leach does start slow. And, and you again, and we'll move on, but the zigging while zagging, you can do that either way, right? You can do the Mike Leach air raid offense, or you can do what Kentucky did unintentionally. When all of its quarterbacks get hurt, and all of a sudden it turns to Lynn Bowden to run a 1950s-style attack of football that nobody – Nobody, including Bud Foster, could stop. So I, I'm all for every, everything in the SEC or in any conference being a little bit different. I think that's what makes football fun, that, that not everybody out there is trying to hire the next Nick statement. Mm-hmm. We'll stick in the SEC. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Connor, I'm going to seal your, your lines here. But uh, <laughs> if you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts for Connor Tapp, for Shay Dixon, for Anna Hickey, for our producer, Tony Levitt. I'm Trey Scott. We'll see you next time on the College Football Daily.